All right. Um, for those of you that are visiting, I just wanted to um, say a special welcome. And our vision here is to see the gospel of Jesus Christ change our lives, change the neighborhood, change the world. And so it's this good news of Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross that he's, he's given us such hope, not just for this life, but for eternity. That's why you hear these testimonies of a desire to share the good news. And I'm hearing my mic drop maybe just a little bit, so hang on, and um, the sound people will help us if it drops in and out. So we're going to be um, looking at two sections of Scripture, Luke 10, 38 to 42, if you want to turn in your Bibles. And then we'll also read um, Psalm 27 as part of the sermon as well. But in this series, we've been... Um, looking at growing up into maturity or fullness in Christ. And so we've looked at growing up in faith, growing up in prayer, growing up in worship. Last week we looked at growing up in um, surrendering to the Holy Spirit's leadership. And today we're going to be looking at focusing on Christ and his kingdom. So really um, maturing and becoming fully focused on Christ. And so, um, I don't know about you, but um, one need that I have is finding peace of mind when things are uncertain, unsettling. Um, You know, sometimes we're troubled by things. Maybe some of you were troubled by things this week. I was troubled by something this week, maybe more than one thing. Um, Sometimes it's little things that are needling us. Sometimes it's big things. And um, I want to just tell you about Martin Luther King Jr. a minute. He led a march for justice February 1, 1965. He and his aide were um, leading a march, and they got arrested and thrown into a steamy 90-foot jail cell. He was in no condition to make a speech in that moment. But he said, let's hold a Quaker-style worship service. And so anybody might read a scripture, might pray, might share what's on their hearts. And his assistant started by quoting part of Psalm 27 that we're going to look at today. And it happened to be a personal favorite. The Lord is my light and my salvation. In whom shall I fear? And as his assistant opened with those words, then suddenly prayer after prayer, song after song, went well into the night. Martin Luther King and those that were in that jail cell that night found their peace by turning their focus on the presence of God, on his word, on his goodness. And so we're going to look at finding our peace and our focus and where it is. And we're going to look at Luke 10, 38 to 42. And I'll read from that now. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, 
Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So a few simple points that I want to make in this sermon today. The first one is this, how we respond to Jesus' presence and his words matter. Martha opened her home to Jesus, and you would think that automatically if Jesus walks into your home, there would be peace, right? But that wasn't necessarily the case. We have two sisters, and there's two different responses to Jesus' presence. Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, verse 39. But in verse 40, we see a contrast. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Distraction is defined as um, a thing that prevents someone from giving full attention to something else. Distraction. Martha wants to be with Jesus, and she's also focused on serving. And so she's worried and upset about many things. And as I thought about what a woman of that culture probably was worried about, she was probably thinking about cleaning the dust. Because in that area of the country, dust covers everything. And if they're going to have a meal, she's probably dusting everything. She's also, there's no microwaves, there's no takeout orders that you can call up and have delivery, right? And you have to make everything homemade, all right? So she's invited them in, and so I'm guessing that she's working on food prep, she's working on cooking, she's working on setting the table, and Martha is trying to multitask, to prep and to listen, and it isn't going well. So I found this verb from the 17th century The word is spuddle, S-P-U-D-D-L-E. And it means to work feebly or ineffectively because your mind is elsewhere. To be extremely busy while achieving absolutely nothing. Have you ever had one of those days? How was your day today? Well, I spuddled through. All right, if you want to use a different word. But when you've got so many things on your mind... Or where your um, computer or your phone has those alerts that just keep going and notifying you over and over, it, it can cause you to sputtle through your day. Well, Stanford University did some research on multitasking. And um, you can imagine what they found. It's less productive than doing one thing at a time. They also found that people that were regularly being bombarded with distractions and different streams of information, they can't pay attention. They can't organize their thoughts. They can't filter out what's significant and what isn't. Um, I had to laugh when I was doing this research because I was trying to multitask and send Kayleen a note this week. And when I went back and read it later because she asked a clarifying question, I said, let's cut that song and let's go right from the sermon to the sermon. And anyway, and um, she goes, I don't think I quite know what you mean. She was so polite. But I was trying to make my lunch, get out the door, and respond to an email all at the same time. I was trying to multitask. Um, I was sputtling and making a terrible mess. All right? So sputtling, 
multitasking. It doesn't work. It actually causes, um, even can cause brain damage, they think. Um, you can't organize your thoughts. You can't pay attention to detail. So a pitfall, they, they said actually that multitasking isn't really even possible, that you're just task switching back, forth, back, forth, back, forth, and therefore it's not effective. Our brains are made to focus on one thing at a time. And in verse 41, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. Now Mary sat and listened, and nothing was said about her being upset. I think she was at peace because she was focused. Martha was distracted and trying to multitask, and it resulted in her being upset. Any time that a word is only used once in the Bible, it's, it's like a pay attention moment. And I found that this word upset was actually one of those original language words only used once in the New Testament. It means to be troubled, disquieted, deeply disturbed, troubled in one's mind. And so how we respond to God's presence and his word, we can either be at peace or we can find ourselves upset and deeply troubled. It matters how we respond to his presence. Number two, Jesus praises Mary's priorities. Both sisters love Jesus. And we're not throwing Martha under the bus today because actually both sisters were serving Jesus. One was serving with chores and preparations And the other was serving with her attention and her focus. And so Martha was busy with chores. Mary was busy focusing on Jesus, listening. And Jesus praises Mary's priorities. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her, verse 42 says. So what did Mary choose? She chose to focus on Jesus His presence, his words, his kingdom. To sit at his feet, she became one of the disciples. And this culturally was unheard of for a woman to come and sit at the feet of a rabbi. But he, Jesus affirmed it and said she has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Martha was focusing on things that were good, preparations are good, trying to serve, being a good hostess was a good thing, but she was focusing on temporary things. These things aren't going to last, the cleaning isn't going to last, the food isn't going to last. When you have Jesus there present, right with you, he's eternal, and what he's going to give is going to be able to last long after he's left the home. So Jesus and his word is a greater priority even over service, although there's always the appropriate time to serve. We're not to always just be sitting and feeding. We also have to go and give, but we have to know the time. And Martha was not choosing the best of the two options. Both were good, but Mary chose the better. All right? Now, Jesus said his word was a priority, and his presence, even over the service. And in Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said this one time, It's written, Man shall not live on bread alone, 
but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so maybe Martha was trying to make bread. That would be part of the meal, right? But he says, very few things are needed, actually only one. It's the word of God coming out of his mouth. And Jesus said to Martha, few things are needed, maybe or indeed only one. And perhaps when he said one thing is needed, maybe Jesus was quoting from Psalm 27. And the psalmist in Psalm 27, his focus and his prayer was on the presence of God. And so I'm going to read Psalm 27, and you can follow along in your Bibles. I'm going to read um, verses 1 to 8 and 13 and 14. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I'll be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling, He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. And then verse 13, I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Our troubles can vary in intensity. Martha was upset probably about her own expectations, maybe the expectations that were cultural from her time, and she was being distracted from being attentive to Jesus. Sometimes in life, circumstances aren't just um, moderately distracting or concerning. They can be difficult, very difficult. They can be dangerous. And the things of this world can try to distract us and keep us upset. So when I tried to think about what are some of those modern-day things, what are things that could be concerning us today, I thought, well, maybe the rate of inflation and being able to pay our bills. Maybe it's trouble, really serious trouble, with relationships that you strongly value. Maybe some of you are facing decisions that need to be made. Maybe there's health issues and there's risk involved, serious risk, and you have to make difficult decisions. Perhaps the things that are concerning you and needling at your mind are things about current events in our city, in our state, in our nation. Maybe you're concerned about justice. Maybe you're concerned about corruption and deceitful ways, ways that you see things being dishonest and corrupt. Perhaps the things that concern you are world events, the war in Ukraine, grain shortages, fuel prices, 
wars and rumors of wars, COVID and monkeypox and fill in the blank. What's been distracting you this week? What's been robbing your peace? Where has your mind tended to go? Where's your attention focused? The psalmist was focused on the Lord's presence, and he gives us a great example of prayer here. When his enemies were advancing and his heart is tempted to fear, he stays focused on God. First, he says what he knows to be true. The Lord is my light. He's my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold. He's the stronghold of my life. He professes his faith. He knows what he says is to be true. And then he focuses on God's presence. In verse 4, he says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. In the Old Testament, the presence of the Lord was in the temple. And they would make a pilgrimage three times a year to go and ascend to the house of the Lord. It was their favorite times of the year because that was where the presence of the Lord was. And so he was saying, this is what I long to do, is to be in the presence of the Lord and to gaze on your beauty. The temple was beautiful, and it represented the beauty of God in a very visible way. For believers, since Jesus went back from this earth to heaven, we have the presence of the Lord in our hearts. He's put the Holy Spirit. And so for us... We don't um, go to a temple three times a year, but we need to be intentional about seeking his presence, just as intentional as those that actually went on pilgrimage. And so um, cultivating a relationship with the Lord, remembering he's present with us. For some of you... um, I just want to remind you that if you've been a Christian a long time, sometimes we can take that for granted or kind of forget. Like if you've grown up in the church and you've had a relationship with Jesus for all your life, as long as you can remember, it might be kind of hard to think about pursuing the presence of God. But just like any good relationship, if you neglect it, it kind of goes separate. And so in the same way, we need to be intentional about recognizing that we have the presence of God right with us, and we have his word, where they had to go to the temple and then they would hear the word read from the scroll. We have the word. It's not just on on Bibles that you might find here. Maybe you have a couple of versions of the Bible on your nightstand or in your living room or on your kitchen table or on your phone. But are we putting our focus on the presence and the word of God? Because, friends, that's where we'll find our peace. That's where the psalmist knew that he would find his peace. By focusing on the reality of God, it reframes the psalmist experience, and it gives him hope for this life and not just the one to come. He says, I remain confident of this. I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so, practical ways to pursue God's presence. The psalmist doesn't pretend like there are no problems, and we don't need to pretend like there's no problems. But he starts by declaring his faith. 
and saying what he knows to be true. And that's a good example for us, too. When a problem comes, we start with saying, God is light. He drives out darkness. God is my refuge, my stronghold. He'll help me. He's my helper. He says he'll never leave. He'll never forsake me. Whatever truths you know in your heart and your mind, speak them out. And then after you've declared your faith, name the problem before the Lord. Lord, this is, this is really bothering me right now. Lord, this is really um, serving to be a distraction. I can't quite get my mind off of it every time I try to multitask and go to something else. This one is coming, coming, coming. I need you to help me with this problem, Lord. And then turn your attention to the one thing. Turn your attention to the king. Turn your attention to Jesus. And when you do, all of a sudden you realize there's one who is sovereign, who's orderly, who's all-wise, who's all-knowing, who's all-powerful. And it starts to build and stir faith in us so that we find peace even in the midst of very difficult situations. So in great trouble, we focus on the presence and the word of God. Maybe some of you read in your all-church email, we included a link a few weeks ago about Andrew Brunson, a pastor who had been in serving in Turkey and was arrested, and he spent um, 735 days in prison facing charges of espionage and terrorism, and he received a sentence that would basically be a life sentence at his 50-year-old age. And so there was an interview with him, and they asked, were there specific times that were harder than others? And he said, I had a lot of them. (laughs) When I got thrown in jail, when I went before the, the court for the first time, when I was in solitary confinement, all these things were incredibly difficult. And he says, it broke me. I lost 50 pounds. I was broken emotionally. I went into a spiritual crisis, he said. And then they said, what about the second year in prison, and how was that different than the first year spiritually? And he said, the first year was a breaking year, and the second year was a rebuilding year. Because God helped him to rebuild and grow stronger as he devoted himself to the Lord. Even in the absence, he said, of feeling God's presence or hearing his voice as the normal means of encouragement. He said, even if I don't see his love or his faithfulness, even if I can't sense his presence, even if I don't feel any grace... I felt like the Lord was asking me, am I going to be faithful to him? Am I going to embrace him in spite of my circumstances? He said the shift came when he changed his perspective and when he started to focus on the Lord. And he said, "Um, Lord, even if you don't set me free, I'm going to fight for this relationship with you. And so Andrew was turning can you see this? Like, he's not letting this big distraction, which that would be a big distraction, right? In a foreign prison, facing a life sentence. And he's saying, I want to be faithful to you. I'm going to turn my focus and my eyes to you. And he said, I knew I might only be able to turn just slightly in his direction, even one degree. But he said that one degree would be so much better than turning the one degree away from the Lord. And that in that time that the Lord started to rebuild him. He said it wasn't a suddenly thing, 
but it was gradual. And he practiced disciplines, which actually are very much the things that Pastor Dave started this series with of prayer and worship. And he said for five minutes a day, he started dancing before the Lord as an act of obedience to his command. Blessed are you when people revile and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things about you on account of me. Rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. And he said, I knew I needed to actually be rejoicing, although I had no joy. And so in obedience, I would perform an act of joy. So he would dance as an act of faith, even if he didn't feel it. He said other things he did, he meditated on scripture. He said that that little phrase, rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. He said he went over it and over it and over it. And he found himself meditating and thinking about heaven more and more. And he said, I didn't feel like it, but I worshiped every day. And it ended up building in me a commitment to worship in all circumstances. And he said he prayed almost every day for the character of Jesus to be formed in his life, that he would have strength and courage and endurance and perseverance. And he said that these disciplines ended up reshaping my perspective over time and refocusing my heart. Refocusing, turning our focus on the presence and the goodness and the beauty of God And so to overcome distractions and worries of this life, God's word teaches us to turn our focus and attention on his presence and word. Just like he told Martha, Mary's chosen the one thing that's better. We started this sermon with a story about Martin Luther King being thrown into jail in 1965. You remember that? Good. That was 15, 20 minutes ago. (laughs) It's good. You've got recall. All right. How did he know to do that? Well, you see, 10 years earlier, because, you know, you retain things that you teach. 10 years earlier, September 1955, Montgomery, Alabama, Dr. King pointed to Psalm 27 in a sermon, and he said, Life constantly presents us with circumstances which are beyond our control. We're continually confronted with circumstances which we did not have the freedom to choose, but with which we're forced to deal. And he went on to say, at birth, he reminded the congregants, African Americans are automatically thrust into a caste system that they didn't select. Other people, through no fault of their own, are forced to live with unwelcome or dreaded diseases. And in such intolerable circumstances, He said the one of the greatest temptations in life is to turn inward and start having inward thinking. And so Dr. King passionately and confidently urged his congregation to choose a different path. And he said these words, whenever a man looks merely at his circumstances, he ends up in despair, disillusionment and cynicism. The great burden of life then is to master the art of looking beyond one's circumstances Ultimately, the test of a man's life is how he responds to his circumstances. One day, the psalmist was meditating on his own circumstances, and he cried out, I had fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord. And Martin Luther King Jr. concluded and said, It's necessary to look beyond our circumstances to something fixed. Knowing God's beautiful goodness will ultimately win over every state of evil. 
Dr. King drew courage and long-term perspective by looking and reflecting on Psalm 27 and knowing that this one thing, to seek God in his temple, to seek his word, to seek his presence, he learned to grow in focus, and he was ready for whatever trial or tribulation came. He knew how to find peace in that difficult moment. And Martin Luther King learned to focus by what he knew of Jesus' example. He persevered toward kingdom justice following Jesus. Because you see, Jesus, while scorning the shame of the cross, fixed his eyes on the joy set before him. Jesus has made his presence and his peace possible by his sacrifice on the cross. And so... We celebrate the Lord's Supper as an intentional act of turning our focus and expressing our gratitude to the one who is our light, our salvation, the stronghold of our lives. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that you've given us your presence, you've given us your word, and in you we find our peace. And I pray now that as we get ready to partake of the Lord's Supper, Lord, that you would help us to just not be distracted by anything else, but to just think about the amazing sacrifice that you made in order to give us a relationship, a restored relationship with you, to transform our lives and to give us peace made possible in any circumstance. Lord, would you meet us in this meal? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.